As the saying goes, forewarned is forearmed. Uh, We like having at least some idea of what the future might hold. Even if it's bad news, knowing what bad things the future might hold gives us a sense of calm. It's a bit strange, isn't it? I think it's because it gives us a name, a focus for our anxiety. And for some reason, having a focus for our anxiety gives us a sense of control. We think that being forewarned is being forearmed, though I don't know if that's what Jesus meant when he said, do not worry about tomorrow. I don't think he said, hey, be forewarned about tomorrow's troubles so you can focus your anxieties on him, on them. But it does seem to be what many of us do. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been with Jesus in his final week in Jerusalem And for his disciples, this is a time of excitement and anxiety. If you can remember, it was a few weeks ago for us, on the Sunday of that week, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a cult. And people were celebrating, they were praising God because they recognised the fulfilment of prophecy. This is how God's promised king would come. But for the disciples who'd been listening, this is also a time of anxiety. Jesus has told them what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, that's his way of talking about himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. For the disciples who are paying attention, everything that's been happening in the temple is only accelerating this. Jesus has been stirring up trouble and at the end of chapter 12, where we were last week, he called out the religious leaders as hypocrites. They are hypocritical prayers. They oppress the vulnerable. They hate God. They hate their neighbour. But they're powerful and if they want to get rid of Jesus, they will. And so as Jesus and the disciples leave the temple that day, one of the disciples can't help but exclaim his admiration for the temple and everything it stands for. So look in your Bible there, verse 1, Mark 13, 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. But Jesus knows what the temple stands for is coming to an end. Verse 2. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, this disciple is probably thinking what most of them are thinking. Yes, the leadership in the temple is corrupt. I agree, Jesus, you're right on that. But they probably assume God's plan is still centred on the stones, the stones and sacrifices of this temple. Uh, They maybe think Jesus is going to change things by deposing the corrupt religious leaders and the corrupt political leaders and replacing them with his own disciples, his own people. Well, as Jesus and his disciples continue out over the Mount of Olives, uh, the mountain where Jesus cursed the fig tree as a parable of God's judgment and rejection on unfruitful Israel, as they climb up the mountain, the temple is still in view. They they look back over the Kidron Valley where they can see 
the massive temple complex. And I'm sure that disciple, they're, they're a bit confused about what Jesus said and they're a bit excited about everything that might be happening and what it might mean for them. And they want to be forewarned. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? There are two questions they ask, two really important questions. The two questions are, when and what sign? When and what sign? They want to be forewarned of whatever this event is, so they can be forearmed. Now Jesus answers their question in reverse order. He goes to the sign and then the when. And it shouldn't surprise us, but his answer isn't what they were expecting. So first up, Jesus talks to them about signs and he says, watch out for signs. Signs are deceptive. You should not be looking for signs. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. What's Jesus saying? Don't look for signs. If you're looking for signs, you might get deceived. You will get deceived. You'll follow false teachers and false prophets. There'll be scary things in the newspapers, wars and earthquakes. And if you're looking for signs, you'll think they're significant you'll think they're a secret message from God to forewarn you. But they're not. Don't be alarmed. And this fits what Jesus has previously said about signs. In Mark 8, Jesus responds to Pharisees who ask for a sign. He says, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. In Matthew's biography of Jesus, he records Jesus being even more explicit, saying a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. The warning about signs couldn't be any clearer. So if they're not to watch for signs, if asking for a sign was the wrong thing to ask for, what should they watch out for? Well, they should watch themselves. Watch that they keep following Jesus, even in scary and uncertain times. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. What is Jesus saying? Don't watch for signs. Watch yourself especially when you suffer and are persecuted for following Jesus. 
And did you hear the priority, the focus for Jesus' followers? It's God's mission. It's telling the whole world the good news of Jesus. Even suffering and persecution must not distract his disciples from this mission. Verse 10 is often misunderstood. Some people think it's a time marker. First the gospel is preached, then something else happens. But there's no then. Have a look, there's no then in the sentence. Jesus isn't giving a time sequence. It's about priority. The number one priority for his followers is telling everyone the good news that Jesus is Lord and salvation is found in him. Jesus' warning is you mustn't allow signs or suffering to distract you from this mission. All right, let's go back to the disciples' question. Jesus has answered, what will be the sign question? His answer, don't look for signs. Instead, persevere with God's mission. Now Jesus gets to the when question. Uh, The when question is probably the most controversial part of this chapter. Uh, Some of you will have known the moment we opened up the chapter, you will have gone, great, this is something my favourite Bible teacher on the internet talks about. Mark 13 and similar things in Matthew and Luke have resulted in a few understandings of the when. Hotly debated chapters because people have got different ideas of the event Jesus is talking about. Uh, Some people think this chapter is talking about the second coming of Jesus. Now, the Bible says Jesus will return. Uh, When Paul was in Athens, he told the philosophers there that in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead Some people think Mark 13 is about that event. That it's giving us the signs so we can prepare for the return of Jesus. But that's not what Mark 13 is about. Uh, The first reason is, well, it's not about signs for the return of Jesus because Jesus has just said, don't look for signs. Signs are deceptive. The second problem with this understanding is it means Jesus lied. And Jesus didn't lie, did he? In verse 30, verse 30, he says to his disciples, to those who are there on the Mount of Olives, he says, they're going to see everything he's talking about in this chapter. But unless you haven't noticed it yet, those disciples are dead and Jesus hasn't returned yet. So this chapter can't be about Jesus' return. All right, well, if it's not about the return of Jesus, others think Jesus is predicting the destruction of the physical temple in Jerusalem. In 70 AD and finally in 135 AD, the temple and Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman army. People think Jesus is predicting this event because in verse 2 he talks about stones being torn down. The main problem with this answer to the when question is verse 26. In what sense did the Son of Man That's Jesus. In what sense did Jesus come in 70 AD? Now, we're going to have a look at a moment at what verse 26 means, but you've got to do some interpretive tricks to make it fit 70 AD. Now, despite these problems, uh, it is a difficult passage, and so those two understandings are popular, but I'm convinced Jesus is talking about a different event. 
I admit this is not as common an understanding, but I reckon it makes much more sense of what Jesus says. Now, remember, the question we're thinking about is the when question. When will this happen? That's what the disciples want to know. They want to know when. When is Jesus giving this message? When is he speaking? When is it when Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives answering his disciples? It's the last week before he is crucified. It's probably the Tuesday of the week before his arrest and crucifixion. In a few days' time, Israel will rise up and arrest her Messiah. God's promised king will be put on trial. In only a few days' time, humanity will kill our God. Jesus has this moment. It's just days before the cross. What do you think he's going to talk to them about? Why would he talk to them about something that won't happen for 40 years? Why would he talk to them about something that won't happen for more than 2,000 years when the most important event, the most horrible event in all of history is about to happen? Of course he's going to talk to them about that event. We're going to get into the details in a moment, but before we get into the details, there's probably a question some of you are thinking. How does the cross fit with what Jesus said back in verse 2 about stones being demolished? Surely it's about stones. It can't be about the cross. Well, it's because the temple he's talking about is his own body. In Mark 14, 58, it says, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days... We'll build another not made with hands. Now, when Jesus said those words, he wasn't talking about a physical building made out of stones, but his own body. His own body is the true temple because on the cross, his body is the sacrifice that will end all sacrifices. And so back to Mark 13, uh, Jesus goes on to answer the when question. And he uses languages, uh, language and pictures from the Old Testament prophets, language that talks about God's judgment coming to explain to his disciples that on the cross, they're going to see the judgment of God poured out. Verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be on those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not happen in winter, that does not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. 
Now, there are loads in that little saying, and if you went and looked at lots of uh, similar imagery in the Old Testament, it would be really helpful. But at a broad level, it's very simple. Let the reader understand. You might be thinking, well, I'm reading and I don't understand. But actually, at a broad level, it's very simple. Jesus says the greatest uh, distress in all of history is about to happen. The worst event in all of history is about to happen. And he illustrates that by telling kind of common sense stories that when disaster looms, get out. When the river, when the river is rising, when the flames are getting closer, it's time to pack up and flee to safety. That's the picture that he's painting in this, uh, this section. That's the picture. The question is, well, what's the event? When? What's the event Jesus is talking about? He calls it the abomination that causes desolation. And then says, let the reader understand. Well, that's Mark's little insert, let the reader understand. The abomination that causes desolation sounds mysterious. What is it? Well, it comes from Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 is an Old Testament prophet. It's a message from God. And in verse 27, it mentions an abomination that causes desolation. Most likely, Daniel 9 is talking about a horrific moment in history in 167 BC. Sorry for all the dates, but 167 BC, uh, the Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes, that's what he looks like when his nose has been knocked off, he was ruling the Jews. And he was a horrible ruler. And the capstone of his evil was that in 167 BC, he sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem, in the temple. Under Jewish law, pigs were unclean. Jews couldn't put them on their plate, let alone put them on God's holy altar. But Antiochus did this, the abomination that causes desolation, to show his utter contempt for God and his people. You think that's bad? Jesus is picking up that same language to say something much worse is going to happen. Israel is going to kill her God. You think pigs on the altar is bad? Look at Jesus on the cross. Humanity killing our God. That is the abomination. And a big danger when horrible abominations occur is in our anxiety we look for explanations, we look for signs and end up deceived. Verse 21, at that time if anyone says to you, look here is the Messiah or look there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard, I have told you everything ahead of time. Jesus has said a few times now, as they've been walking to Jerusalem, he said a few times that he's going to be killed. Today, when he's on that Mount of Olives, he reveals how significant his death is. His death is the worst event in human history. It's the ultimate abomination that causes desolation. Quite literally, it's the end of the world. Verse 24, but in those days, following that distress, 
The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Uh, This is language, once again, straight out of Old Testament prophets. It's trying to put into words the judgment of God. When God pours out his wrath on Jesus on the cross, all creation will feel it. And Mark records the sky actually was darkened as Jesus hung on the cross. Other Gospels record earthquakes linked to his death and resurrection. It's as Jesus says in verse 19, those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Not only the abomination of what humanity does to Jesus, but the full force of the judgment that sin deserves poured out on Jesus. It changes everything. Creation itself reverberates with its impact. That's the bad news. But there's good news too. Because of his death, Jesus will rise again and will ascend to glory. Verse 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Uh, The coming of the Son of Man is once again from the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel 7 records a vision of uh, one like a Son of Man who comes on the clouds to the Ancient of Days and is given a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. I'll read it for you. It's Daniel 7. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, God Almighty, and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Uh, Jesus is using pictures the old, uh, that his disciples would have understood from the Old Testament. He's, under, he's explaining what's really going to happen, what's really going on as they, they see Jesus die on the cross and they see the empty tomb and then meet him alive on the other side and then 40 days later, see him ascend to the Father's right hand. He's using all this Old Testament language to help them understand that on the cross, God's judgment on sin is poured out. And then Jesus rises and ascends because he is God's eternally enthroned king. And when Jesus is enthroned as king, what are his disciples to do? What was the number one priority in verse 10? Take the message of Jesus to the world. Well, verse 27 says the same thing. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. All right, there's been lots happening, all these Old Testament uh, allusions, crazy kind of things in this, pulling it all together. Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's going to happen in a few days. The cross, then the resurrection and ascension, and then the mission to the world. That's what Jesus is talking about, and they can trust what Jesus says. Verse 28, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. 
Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You can trust me. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Uh, The lesson of the fig tree, it's like when I was at uni. When the jacarandas turn purple, you know exams are here. As Jesus is arrested, they can be sure God's kingdom is about to come. It's at the door. And although they'll soon find out that, that everything Jesus is talking about is only days away, at this point, as they're on the mountain, the exact moment of Jesus' death and resurrection was a mystery. Okay, take a breath. That's a lot to take in. Jesus has just revealed everything. The biggest moment in history, the fulfillment of all the hopes and promises of the Old Testament is about to occur. So what should the disciples do? Well, they mustn't look for signs. Instead, they must watch themselves, trust Jesus, don't give up on him. Even when he's on the cross, don't give up on him because what Jesus has explained could happen at any moment. Verse 33, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Verse 35 is the key for this section. And we're going to see this as we continue reading Mark's gospel. Those four time markers, evening, midnight, rooster crow, dawn. They're going to be the important moments as we head towards the Friday of that week. In the evening, they'll share in the Passover, the Last Supper. We'll hear one of the twelve has been led astray by false prophets and he's going to betray Jesus. At midnight, Jesus tells them to watch and pray in the garden, but finds them sleeping. At rooster crow, Peter has denied even knowing Jesus. And then at dawn, Jesus will appear before religious and political authorities and not one of the disciples will be standing watch. Jesus will go to the cross alone as he bears the sins of his people. All right, this is a hard chapter. There's lots to get our head around. The big things are, what event is Jesus talking about? He's revealing the things that were about to happen, the cross, the empty tomb, the ascension. And he's revealing how they change everything. The cross means Jesus has faced the wrath and judgment of God so you don't have to. 
the resurrection and ascension means Jesus is Lord, so he has authority to judge the living and the dead. And the only way to be safe from his judgment is to come to him for salvation. Now, this is a chapter that shows Jesus is Lord. Now, secondly, Jesus is warning us about looking for signs. Brothers and sisters, do not be distracted and deceived by looking for signs. There are many people today who want you to be watching what they think are signs. Uh, They're claiming the lunar eclipse. Wasn't it beautiful Friday night, that lunar eclipse? They'll say, oh, that's a harbinger of doom. Or the president of China is the beast from one of Daniel's visions. Or a new piece of technology is the mark of the beast. They might sound very earnest. They might even think they've got Bible verses to pack them up, but not only is it a misunderstanding of the Bible, it shows an ignorance of history. For 2,000 years, people have claimed that things happening to them in their age are the signs and that we're going to be the last generation, but none of them have been right. If anything, all of those claims throughout history and the claims we're hearing now is a warning that Jesus is right, that looking for signs is deceptive. The problem of looking for signs is it gets your eyes on the signs and not on Jesus. Something other than Christ and him crucified becomes central to your faith. Something other than the resurrection of Jesus becomes your hope. Your confidence is on how well you can discern the signs rather than on the ascended and ruling Lord Jesus. Jesus is warning to us, Don't be deceived. Don't look for signs. Instead, Jesus calls us to know the time we are in. We live in the time of gospel mission. When the gospel is being proclaimed and people are being brought into God's kingdom throughout the world. This is the most important thing for God. It needs to be the most important thing for us. And the best way to make Jesus' mission our priority is to have our hearts captured by God, to love Jesus, to be blown away by what he achieved for us on the cross, going through, he went through the greatest distress in history because he loves his people. We need to know that Jesus has come on the clouds, is seated at the right hand of God and he's sending us out to gather his people. I know there are lots of things that are making us anxious. And we might think that being forewarned will help us when we're anxious. But Jesus says, no, what we need is to know him, to know what he has done and is doing, and to keep our eyes and hearts focused on him. Let's pray. Our Father God, we praise you for Jesus. That for us and our salvation, he took on flesh and he willingly went to the cross. We praise you because Jesus is alive and he has come into your presence and rules with you in his eternal kingdom. Lord, please protect us from being deceived by people who would draw our attention away from Jesus Jesus and his work on the cross and instead would distract us to look for signs. 
Strengthen us to persevere when we're suffering or persecuted. And help us to keep your mission as our first priority. Help us to know we live in the time when you are saving people from around the world. Fill our hearts with love for you and use us to speak about the hope we have in Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.